Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. All right, guys, episode 18, hashing it out. Today, we're here with Origin, a uh, sharing economy protocol. Uh, Stan James is the, Stan, what, what position do you hold at Origin? We're, we're kind of fuzzy on titles, like yeah. senior engineer, lead blockchain engineer, basically like engineer who's been around the block a few times. Perfect. That's exactly the kind of person we want to be talking to for this. Um, why don't you give us a quick introduction? Well, first off, as always, Colin, say hello. Hello. And I'm Corey Petty. <laughs> You're supposed to say, say what's up, Colin. No, nope, I change it up this time. That's the running joke. No, don't change it up, man. I change it up we all the time. We got a system going. We got a system going. Hi-o. We're ending, man. Yo, you got you to do it. Fine. Anyway. We'll do it next time. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, all right, Stan, why don't you give us a quick introduction as to uh, how you got into the space in the first place and um, what your background is and what origin is. Uh, yeah, that's a lot. Um, how I got into the space, uh, I guess... I'm just lucky to have some people that were in it early. Uh, it was about about this time last year that I was just kind of became aware of, you know, that there was excitement happening in the crypto space. Well, I guess like everyone, like Bitcoin kind of came on my radar back in what, 2012, 13-ish when it was, you know, first came on the scene. Um, and I was actually living in Berlin when there was like the first store that accepted Bitcoin payments. And uh, so I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't sort of pick up on it then. But uh, about this time last year, my friend, uh, Josh Frazier, who's the co-founder of Origin, um, you know, I've been friends for a long time and we were just, you know, hanging out and he was explaining, you know, basically how Ethereum works and how uh, there's more to cryptocurrencies than just uh, paying for things and just, you know, anarchist, whatever, economics. And uh, that planted a bit of the seed. And then a month or two later, when he said that he and his buddy were actually starting a company, and he sent me just this, you know, flurry of white papers to read on, I don't know, it was like Plasma and ZK Snarks and I don't know, like IPFS. And I can't remember. And I just, you know, had this night of staying up really late and like, this, like, this is awesome. This is the yeah. future. I got to be a part of this. And I was practically begging uh, to be uh, the first employee. So I was there on day one as the first employee at Origin. That's awesome. Uh, like, what is? Let's talk about Origin a little bit. What, what, what's, what, what problem do you seek to solve, and why have you? Like, and how are you a differentiator in that problem space? Um. Well, the problem, such as it is, is that right now, if you have something like a relatively simple thing of like, you've got a used bicycle that you want to sell. It's like, pick which giant corporation do you want to share that fact with? Um, when you as a seller, like you don't really, you know, you don't care about Craig, Craigslist. You don't care about eBay. 
Uh, you don't care about Amazon or any of the like local classified. You just want to find a good buyer. And the the blockchain is just such a perfect um, solution to this problem of um, you just want to put a fact out into the world. And like when I explain blockchain to non-technical people, I say it's, you know, it's this like just database that just kind of lives out there that you, know, you can write data to and it's not owned by any particular company. And so the use case of just uh, a buyer trying to find a seller um, is, seems like a, like a match made in heaven for, for blockchain. Cool. So <clears throat> there's a lot of components to that um, that uh, seems to span a lot of common topics among our guests. One of them being is how do you register assets? How do you exchange assets? So let's 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 start on that. So, um, I'm, Origin is using the Ethereum protocol, um, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, is this a seven twenty one based like NFT system or? Um... No, no. Um, it's it's much simpler. I would say just on the idea we have listings and people make offers and buy the listings with some, you know, a little more complications around fractional usage. So things like a, uh, you know, I want to rent my apartment for a few weeks, or I want to rent my bike for a couple of days. Um, but we, we don't go down the 721 route of like trying to like, you know, give your used bicycle a on-chain identity. It's just, there's a listing and here's the description and the pictures and et cetera. Oh, so it's like an open marketplace, um, and you've kind of got a bunch of primitives in smart contract form, which essentially enable you to create an auction or a bidding bidding system, or is it more like an, a direct buy? A more direct buy. Uh, an auction thing could be built on top of us uh, in theory, but uh, we're much more on like natively at the direct the direct buy approach, um, with a little bit of like you make an offer and then the buyer accepts. Cool. And so what kind of um, volume are you looking to support right out of the box on this? Is this, is this something that's going to be requiring they post their own contracts or uh, so that they deal with the volume issues? Or do you have like a centralized uh, contract that they can interact with? Uh, there'll be uh, a set of contracts that they interact with. Um, but at Origin, we're also very, um, like we're trying to do sort of the full stack solution. So we're not just a set of smart contracts. We are developing our smart contracts and then in parallel developing uh, libraries for now just for JavaScript, so like Origin.js, NPM install, Origin, uh, which allow someone who doesn't know anything about blockchain but knows JavaScript, like your sort of typical web developer. Um, our goal is that they could get up and running with a marketplace in just a few minutes. Um, and to that end, we're also making uh, an example DAP that sort of shows a sort of a, you know, a best of breed example of how to interact with our Origin.js library. Got you. So you want people to integrate this into their own existing systems so that you would be kind of the, the origin, the origin um, uh, protocol, um, the origin smart contracts would be the point of entry for posting this kind of uh, market marketplace data. And they would be responsible of maintaining it, but it would be kind of like the truth keeper, the reference, a single source of truth and value exchange mechanism for actually paying for these services. Is that correct? 
Right, right. Yep. And and just like the easy on-ramp for uh, just regular web developers. Um, I, we, we often talk about that uh, video demo from the early days of Rails, like uh, Ruby on Rails, where I think it was like a 10-minute video where he created a blogging platform just like in real time. Yeah. And that kind of blew everyone's minds. So I think at least my personal goal at Origin is to make a 10-minute video uh, in a few months of someone creating a marketplace like, you know, for used bicycles or something and just like complete the whole thing in 10 minutes. And that's, that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be using like, if is it, are you only using Ethereum as the payment mechanism or are you opening that up to tokens on Ethereum platform? Or are you, are you trying to stick with, you, is fiat an availability option for this type of thing? Or is it like, because you're using the technology of Ethereum, does that limit your scope to what's being used to pay? Um, we will support any ERC-20 tokens. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to support that out of the gate. Um, so, yeah. And uh, the, the rough strategy for supporting, you know, fiat would be, you know, something like a make or die or like mm -hmm. a stable coin. There's also third-party integrations, which could support the origin protocol, such as Coinbase can decide, hey, you guys are doing awesome work. You know, um, we like what you got cooking here. We want to be able to, people to directly through our USD purchase mechanism that they already have set up, convert to ETH immediately and transparently and go straight into the contract so that they can use leverage their existing payment mechanisms. Um, there's also things like Shapeshift, I guess, which could also possibly integrate with this kind of stuff. So you could use other currencies, um, get it directly to ETH and directly to... There's no reason why this kind of these kind of processes can't be abstracted away and made... Um, you know, transparent through third-party partnerships and integrations. Yeah, like our, our dream would be, well, one, to make our protocol as open and well-documented and flexible as possible that, you know, someone who wanted to make a, you know, a bridge to, you know, Bitcoin or uh, whatever could sort of do that transparently under the hood. Um, and our end goal is, you know, for that, you know, just our, you know, the, the classic, you know, our moms and uh, siblings that don't know anything about tech can use this. And as far as they're concerned, if they know how to use Craigslist, if they know how to use eBay, if they know how to use Airbnb, we want them to be able to use uh, origin-powered applications. Well, um, a, a problem that you may have is a, is a problem of the entire community in that if you want people like that to be able to use the platform, they're going to have to get the token and then use the tools necessary to sign contracts to, to transact those tokens. How do you overcome that type of uh, on-ramping or end-user on-ramping difficulty? Well, you're right that, especially like today, it mm -hmm. would be nearly impossible to give that fluid of an experience. Um, for some of, like some of that's just like UX problems of how you present things. Um, I'm not the UX guy, but I know we, a lot of uh, the, the UX uh, design decisions we're thinking kind of try to use metaphors that people understand like, you know, frequent flyer miles or loyalty points or something for when they have to interact with, uh, with a token of some sort. Um, or like you said, maybe it's like a direct transit transition of like you have a credit card layer that directly converts it to die or, or Ethereum under, under the hood. Um, or maybe in a few years, people will be more comfortable just, you know, having some Ethereum or other ERC-20 token. Um, it's, yeah, it's hard to say what the future will, will be like, but it, it, we know there's a lot of people working on making this onboarding experience easier. 
and we're going to do our part from the application side. And of course, we hope that things like, you know, like we're getting better and better uh, sort of wallets on the mobile space that integrate and give a good user experience there. Coinbase is doing a lot of like, like a PayPal type experience for checkout. Um, I think I'm pretty confident that in a year, say two years, we will be able to achieve a, a pretty seamless level of use for the average user. And that's going to be essential for any sort of adoption. And I think that's one of the big barriers that a lot of these cryptocurrencies have is not just current currency, but anything in this decentralized land is very relegated to to people who have sort of this technical knowledge, being able to make it virtually transparent and yet still provide a incentivization or even benefits model over um, what is currently uh, offered by centralized system is really the challenge I think a lot of people are facing. Um, well, another, you asked earlier about kind of like uh, what, um, what makes us different or, or why, like why origin and I think that origin, or at least this approach, has some advantage in that the market that we're targeting, you know, say like an Airbnb host or someone who sells a lot of stuff on eBay, they are highly sensitive to the cut that the centralized services take. You know, as, as Airbnb takes a bigger cut, eBay takes a cut. Um, if, if we get the user experience good enough that they can start to use it and realize, hey, we can save or we can, I can make... 15, 20% more money on my bookings by going with origin, that will be a good motivator to get over that hump or for them to even encourage their buyers to go over that hump. So I, I think if we can get it to a certain point, just pure monetary incentivization will maybe get them over that last 10 or 20% of friction. Yeah, because basically you're cutting out the middleman. All these, yeah, exactly. you just don't need them anymore, which lowers prices overall, um, which makes it competitive. Um, that's, you know, it's a really, really good, interesting, in fact, you know, I don't hear that quite often enough, I think in, in these conversations is, you know, um, I think original, like two years ago, I heard it all the time that, oh, the competitive model will be, we're cutting out the middlemen so we can be more competitive, but it kind of like that language kind of disappeared over the past, well, since the tokens kind of took off, I haven't heard it quite as much. So I'm glad to hear that that is, uh, that is what you're seeing is the value add there, um, a direct value add, um, so there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Let's just start with this one. Um, I remember a while ago, you guys had a identity kind of playground that I saw um, using uh, Fabian Vogelsteller's um, 725, ERC. Yeah, ERC-725 implementation. What are your experiences with that so far? And are you integrating this with the protocol or what were you, what was... What came of that? Um, uh, we're still really happy with it. We're still using it in our, our demo application on the test nets now. Um, it's proven to be really flexible. It hasn't you know boxed us in in any way. Um, we're adding more and more um, verifications so that like right now you can you can you know prove that your profile, you know, that you have a Facebook account or you, your Twitter account, or I think even now might be pushed out live, maybe not quite yet, you know, like, you know, your Airbnb identity, et cetera, you can make those attestations to your ERC-725 uh, identity. And well, as anyone, you know, in the sharing economy or marketplace space knows, like reputation is everything. And so identity is going to be kind of a key piece of making this all work. 
and you'll feel a lot better about buying something from someone if you can see like, oh, they're a super trusted Airbnb person and maybe, you know, Coinbase has attested that they're a accredited investor and their bank has attested their credit score is whatever. Um, that's that's the future that we want to get to. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the implementation details of that, if you don't mind, um, if you can speak to it. I don't know who specifically sure. works on that in your team. I know you've got quite a team. Um, the um, the um, the thing that I've I've noticed about the 725. Well, how about this? Why don't we start backing it up a little bit and maybe for our viewers explain a little more about how it works and what the actual uh, smart contract does and how you see that fitting in directly with your current uh, mark, you know, the origin protocol. Um, so Right. So um, I'll confess, I'm not the guy that did the implementation of 725. That was uh, uh, Nick. He was awesome. Um, but essentially with uh, ERC-725, your identity on the blockchain, so to speak, is a smart contract that, that you control. And other, uh, other smart contracts or other um, people on the blockchain can make uh, claims about your identity, you know, such as uh, you know, this person uh, is so-and-so on Facebook or this person's phone number is this, et cetera. And then you can accept those attestations of like, yep, that's me, I, that's true. And then uh, anyone else who wants to sort of know about you can uh, query your smart contract and see like, oh, it's, you know, so-and-so says that your phone number is this. And if you trust that so-and-so, um, you know, might be Twilio, might be some service, then you can feel good about it. Um, right now, of course, most centralized services don't have ERC-725 attestation services. So you, you kind of have a bit of a proxy where like right now, Origin runs what we call a bridge server, kind of this bridge where you log into Facebook uh, using our bridge server, and we can vary, we can get the token back from Facebook that proves, oh yeah, this person did log into Facebook and they are this user. And then we will sign the attestation back saying, you know, the origin ID server certifies this person is uh, this person okay. on Facebook. So are you saying. trusting that? that is that a trustless mechanism? Are you integrating that with the blockchain at all in such a way that we can actually trustlessly verify that origin is operating in, in good faith or... Is there a trusted mechanism there? There's well, it's not ideal. So the the code is open source, so anyone is free to run their own bridge server, uh, and of course you can inspect the code of what we're doing. Um, we imagine in the future other people could run their own, and if for some reason you don't trust Origin or in some situation where that doesn't work, um, anyone could do that. And of course, hopefully in the future you'll get. Um, you know, you know, companies that might, well, the ideal would be like, you know, U.S. government attests this person is this person or uh, your bank would actually sign directly to attest to your credit score or something. The way I, the way I picture what you're doing here, and I think it's how you did it is um, you basically like when you, when you create some type of web app, you're, they have, they have hooks in which you can use these third party services like GitHub, Facebook, Google, so on and so forth, to then log in as a user without having to implement um that in your own web app. And what happens is usually it sends you to a portal to their site in which you log in with your own credentials to their site and it sends back some type of JSON web token and a success 
And what, what you're doing is intercepting that and saying, yes, this person is the person they logged in as. And then you can then craft a transaction with those things that that is the attestation that someone would normally do for a 725. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. So we're, we're kind of playing the part of, you know, imagine that it was just like a, a regular website that yeah. used Facebook login, except our application is really, really simple and dumb. And all it does is once you log in, we're like, yep, you are who you say you are. And we write uh, to the blockchain as saying that we have, we have seen the token from Facebook and we certify that you are who you say you are. That's cool. Cause that was kind of one of the questions I had about, um, for any two-sided marketplace, reputation is a big deal, especially in, digi in the digital world. I mean, there's a reason why Amazon pumps so much uh, time and development into the user rate or the, the, the item rating system, right? Getting reviews. And yeah. so like reviews have become almost the way people shop nowadays, which is artificially inflated through paid for reviews and so on and so forth. But like, it's like, it's, it's, it's clear that's how people shop. And so, and when it's, when it's online and you want to know who you're dealing with because in like, you know, the creepy Craigslist world, in some cases, you may be dealing with some, somebody that's, you know, just going to steal your money or, or trying to pull scams and so on and so forth. And you need to know that like, there's some type of trustworthiness or reputation around somebody in the digital world that you're going to buy from so that you're not renting some beautiful condo somewhere in a vacation place you're going and it ends up and it's like, doesn't exist. Yeah, it's kind of a real shame that Craigslist has come to dominate. You know, it's great that it's free, but because they are centralized and uh, just are the de facto monopoly and they've resisted all attempts at any kind of reputation system to get integrated or people have tried to do, you know, build on top of it. Um, so, yeah, that's like a, a side goal of mine is to be able to get some reputation brought to the simple, you know, Craigslist style transactions that we all do. Now, um, there's there's competitors, I think, in this space, even within the blockchain world. And that's something I think Swarm City was, I mean, it used to be Arcade City, then moved to Swarm yeah. City. And they, they wanted to kind of generalize it to two-sided marketplace. Do you Are you differentiating yourself from them? Are you working with them? Are you aware of them? Or other uh, people doing the same thing? Uh, aware of them. Um, I'm probably not the best. I briefly have looked at their code in the past, it seemed like development had slowed down a bit. Um, and as I recall, they were not especially doing the fractional usage side, mm -hmm. like being that general. And it was much more of the, you know, you know, X is for sale, someone buys X, um, not the, you know, for time sharing next type week. things. Yeah, time sharing. How do we, like, can you explain that a little more on, on the time sharing aspect of how Origin works? Um. Yeah, it's just um, sort of basically adding some richness to the protocol where um, when you, uh, in fact, we're working on this right now, of, uh, on, especially on the UI side of, you know, when you create a listing, um, depending on the type of fractional, so like for a, a, you know, home sharing, it's typically by the night, uh, you can just specify when it's available. Um, the, that calendaring information is stored in IPFS along with all the other sort of metadata about it. And so when the buyer comes along, they can see, uh, you know, when the house is available, et cetera, and the seller can then approve or deny a request to book. And yeah, that's basically it. Um, okay, cool. 
are there are there any other competitors out there that you you've heard of or thought of? Like I think Slocket is doing something similar with their locks and, and microwaves and things like that. But it's it's I wouldn't call it a competitor, but like along the same lines of buying something someone else has as a service. Yeah, they seem again. I'm not an expert. They seem a bit more focused on the uh, the IoT angle mm-hmm. of you know using the blockchain to unlock the door, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been my rough impression. And they seem, again, from my memory, a bit more focused only on that side. So then they don't cover the case of the Craigslist selling a used bike. Uh, I think we're trying to make a very general protocol that handles all of these type of sharing economy marketplaces. Everything from you know the Craigslist, I want to sell my used whatever, to Airbnb, I want to rent my house, and then eventually all the way to Uber, Lyft style, I want to get a ride in the next, you know, five minutes. Or even just like Wi-Fi sharing, like, you know, if someone has Wi-Fi and you're in their network, you can maybe buy, you know, some time or data from their network by automating automating that kind of transaction. Exactly. I mean, I I really hope that we will know where we've succeeded if people are coming up with all kinds of things that could be rented and sold that we haven't even thought of. Uh, that because the friction was too high before, uh, so you know something like yeah, like Wi-Fi sharing, um, or just I don't know, <laughs> access to 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 hikes, or you're a good you're a tour guide, or I don't know, like the sky's the limit, really. Uh, on the other side of that note, then because the sky's the limit, like what type of um, problems have you run into in trying to do this? Like where where what type of catch-alls do you have? Um, when trying to scale this out, do you, have, do you see anything in the future that's going to be a massive roadblock for you as you build out more and more? Um, on the technical side, you mean like like on the yeah, representation side? Technically. Yeah, technically, I mean, the big roadblocks are the, the ones that are common to everyone in this space, of course, you know, scaling, uh, 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 the confirmation times, et cetera, and the on-ramp. Um, more specific to us, there's at least a challenge around the schema, getting our representations right. We don't box ourselves into a corner in the way that we represent things. In uh, We're using JSON schema to sort of uh, specify, you know, this is my apartment for rent. Is this many apartments? It has this many rooms, et cetera. Um, we don't want to unintentionally box ourselves in too much. Um, so... Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest technical challenges, o- apart from obviously just the ones of like if you deploy a bum contract and uh, in we somehow don't have a way to upgrade it or fix it. It's probably the biggest risk. That's a big risk well, for everybody. Go ahead, Colin. Disputes. Oh, yeah. That's that's also key in this space. Yeah, I was just reading through your smart contract and I see you have a dispute mechanism um, in there. Um, and I kind of was hoping maybe you could go over some of the process and problems surrounding that, because obviously that's when you have immutability, disputes become kind of a problematic issue. Um, <laughs> so if maybe you could talk to me about how, how that's managed or how you envision that will be managed going forward. Yeah, um, I, uh, we're, we're, we are still investigating a lot of options in, in this space. Right now, it looks pretty good for using um, e, EIP, 792, I believe it is, is the Claro's proposal for arbitration. Um, and that is, that's for handling kind of the worst case scenario where a, a third party arbitrator has to get involved. Um, 
when there is a dispute, much like with centralized systems, we're going to push people to as much as possible uh, resolve it amongst themselves. Uh, you know, like, hey, you know, I got, I checked into this your apartment and it's filthy. Um, here's some pictures. I don't think it's right that I pay the cleaning fee or whatever, whatever. And hopefully, people can settle that amongst themselves. And we're making sure that we have those uh, methods available on the smart contracts so that you can kind of change things even after the bookings made. And then when it does kind of come to neither side is happy and it's just like, we got to bring in something else. That's where uh, we're probably going to use that 792 protocol, which is kind of a nice, uh, just an interface basically for arbitration where you can plug and play different arbiters uh, into it. Um, Initially, we're probably going to launch with a very kind of standard centralized arbitration system, which, you know, might just be customer service agents, employed by Oracle or by origin who <laughs> not by Oracle, uh, who are, who are handling it. Um, and then, uh, then we can decide either on creating a truly decentralized, um, arbitration system, which is what Claros is trying to build. And there are a few others in that space. Um, and we can kind of basically kind of watch the developments and not have ourselves boxed into a corner and, you know, basically pick the best of breed to, to be that arbitration system. Or, and what might actually be the ideal is if we keep it plug and playable, the the people creating the marketplace applications could choose their own arbitration system. So you know, depending on the on the DAP that you use could dictate which arbitration system that you're using. I want to, I guess maybe backstep a little here because it, it, like the, the conversation that we're having sounds like Origin is becoming like the one-stop shop um, application for this type of thing, which isn't necessarily the case, right? Like this is, even looking at your website, it, you're, it seems as though you're focusing mostly on the protocol level type stuff. Like you're trying to corner the market of making two-sided markets work and then allowing people right. to build applications on top of that to make the types of decisions like arbitration in the first place. So as long as you're general enough, anyone can build an application with their own design decisions on how they do this type of stuff. And right. you may be the first entrance into this market using your own protocol by dogfooding it, but it, it's still free for other people to use and incorporate into whatever they're else is building. Is that, that's the, the, the key idea here? Exactly, exactly. And it's kind of a fine line that we're walking with having the proof of concept, getting it out there, but making it clear that we want other people to build on us, which is why we have a lot of partners that have committed to build on our on our protocol. So they got- yeah. So actually, this kind of brings up a question that I have with a lot of these decentralized systems is business model. Now, I know that you are speaking to the engineering side of things, but you brought <laughs> up the arbitration side, which kind of things my, my business, you know, not strong business acumen, but some business acumen. I'm like, okay, wait, that's the value add here. Um, and that there needs to be some sort of, there always needs to be some sort of trusted entity. If you're going to uh, arbitrate something, you could do that in some sort of decentralized manner, but somebody needs to still manage the reputation of those people and, and do some sort of independent audit of the, uh, the actual arbitration system itself. Um, and you know, their, their reputation needs to be staked in that process being true in some manner. And I'm kind of wondering, 
Well, first off, do you have a business model already set up for this? And if not, are you considering maybe the arbitration route as being sort of a source of generating actual revenue uh, through the Origin Protocol for Origin? Um, yeah, as you said, I'm on the engineering side, so take anything I say about business models with a grain of salt. Um, That's perfectly I, fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't, at this point, arbitration does not play in super strongly to our, our business model, which is more around you know using origin tokens in, in the listing creation process um, and, and, and sort of that side of the equation, not the arbitration side. Um, but believe me, we certainly thought about the arbitration, incorporating it to arbitration. Okay, so your business model is actually revolving around the origin token. So can you explain to me a little more about how that, how that's used and how you actually receive income from it? Or how, how like, is there, do you get like a percent of everything that's, that's posted or do your listings go a little above and beyond what the actual cost to directly list it with us would be? Or we, we, we definitely don't take a cut. Um, that's kind of like the whole promise of not being the, uh, a new middleman. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think, we're still settling on exactly what the details will be of how the token is used. But the bottom line is it will be you know, needed to transact on the network. Um, kind of going back to our discussion around user friction, um, I think we figured out a pretty good way to make it just so the seller is the only one that needs to be aware of origin token and the buyers can kind of transact uh, seamlessly. Um, but beyond that, I will say it's in flux, so I don't want to commit us to too much of what we're actually going to do. And there are smarter people than me on the team that are working on that. No, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, that's just something that I, I like to touch on a little bit sometimes. Um, the, uh, the, um, the, the big problem that a lot of these systems have is, is like, what is the business model when a majority of the business models surrounding all of these systems historically throughout all of history revolved around the centralization. So we're trying to come up with new ways of incentivizing people to start and run businesses um, that implement right. this technology that also still add the value added benefit, but without becoming the next PayPal. Uh, so, yeah. Yes. I mean, like the basic idea is we want the value of the token to go up. You know, that's how origin gets paid. You know, we don't get paid by taking a little cut of, of every transaction. Um, so, which I think is pretty exciting, again, not as an economist or a business guy, but I like the idea that the, the, the terms basically under which we get paid as origin are, are set in stone, you know, on the immutable blockchain. And it's not like a centralized service, like an Airbnb or an Uber, et cetera, where once they get into a, a good position, they start cranking on, down the screws and like, let's extract maximum value now that we've got to where we are. Um, I, it's, it's nice that, you know, in some perfect future world where origin is now, you know, like 80% of all transactions are going through origin, we literally can't go back and, you know, like say like, hey, now we're on top. We're going to like turn, now we're going to increase our cut to 10%. So that the idealist in me really loves that side. I mean, it's, it's uh, it's kind of the idea of of to- uh, tokenized protocols in the first place is to um, find a problem, um, inter- like disintermediate it, uh, 
create a tool that's really useful within that problem space and then saying you need this token to use that tool and say go and then you hope that you, then, then anybody who uses it has an incentive to get other people to use it and that grows the utility of the entire of the entire protocol or network or so on and so forth which is kind of like this like synergistic self-feeding cycle of, of uh utility hopefully um right at least that's the goal I, I think in a lot of this type of stuff is to, is to build things that are useful that require the use of the underlying token and then the value of the token is usually goes up with the people who add value to the network exactly um and i like the idea that the payment is a bit more um connected to the work that is done like well kind of like speaking technically I'm sure any of us could make a fairly decent Craigslist clone in a weekend. You know, we could probably make a pretty decent Airbnb clone in a week or two. Um, but even if what we created was like 10 times better than the centralized services, you know, we would, we could never uh, break in simply because of the network effects that these existing centralized services have. Um, so I guess, like, I like the idea that, um, well, do you, are you familiar with Spinlister? They, they were like a little, like, it was a, it was a nice, like, share your bike service. Like, no, originally. I've never heard of it. it was, like sharing economy. Bike. And they just shut down recently, uh, like a few months ago. And it was kind of sad because I used the service a lot. And I mean, it basically was like this niche just didn't make enough money. You know, it wasn't an Airbnb. It wasn't an Uber. They weren't able to attract big VCs to come in. But I like the idea that with Origin, someone who just likes bikes could, you know, follow our 10-minute how to make a marketplace tutorial and get like a rent your bike out service made and you know ship it. And you know, ah. millions of people around the world are now able to share bikes. And and the guy that like wrote the thing, you know, he's not looking to be the next, you know, Uber, you know, Travis, whatever guy. He just wants to share bikes. And I, I love that vision that. You know, someone who just has a passion for something could just like write the app. It goes out there and it you know goes around the world. Yeah, hobbyist Airbnb. How weird is that? Like hobbyist, like oh, I, like, oh, I don't know. Somebody who's like really into model trains and they want to set up an expo, so they list like you know like hey, I'm creating a marketplace so you could bring your I don't know rent out space on this or whatever. Like you could create your own sort of like because of that, it, it doesn't really require the weight and the scale and the necessary quote unquote network effects, you can actually create marketplaces for marketplaces or advertisement systems for marketplaces, which all obey the same protocol. And then people who are interested in a certain topic can follow that topic and not necessarily the specific website that they don't know about. That's buried in a needle in a haystack of other, other websites, which are all super niche. Instead, you can create sort of like a Reddit for marketplaces, which is kind of an interesting <laughs> like I like the I think the term here that I think that you're trying to get to is like a mic it, it, it incentivizes micro communities whereas beforehand when you have centralized services that have massive network effects those the mom and pop shops that have good service but can't get into they can't break into the network cannot survive economically this is uh, potentially a way in which they can because their success isn't tied to their own space it's tied to the all all of the two-sided marketplace space so. Like say you have one large massive um, mover within the origin protocol, that the success of that one massive mover rises the tide of the success of all of the other smaller uh, marketplaces within the entire ecosystem. 
Exactly. So let's say that there's like some dominant, I don't know what it's going to be, home sharing or whatever. And going back to our earlier conversation, you build up this like great reputation. And now you want to go rent a bike on Joe's, you know, bike service that he made last weekend. You already have your stellar reputation to, to go with you. Like it's the, the marketplace is already ready to go. You don't have to wait for people to build up reputations. Um, yeah, I, I love that, that, that network effect. It basically, I guess the goal is with decentralization, we can make an even stronger network effect than the current sort of monopoly, like the mini network effects that exist within the centralized services. Yeah, and this is something I personally have always been around. I think in 2005, I, I started, I bought a domain and tried to, tried to play with something called, I tried to create a site called onlinekarma.net because I, I noticed the same thing. Like there's all these, uh, these, these reputation systems, which are all across all these other websites. And if there was some way I could use like open ID, which is what I was trying to actually kind of like make them all talk to each other, you know, that'd be great. But no, the actual value add in a lot of these central systems is that they hold on to that reputation. That's their, that's their system. That's their way of doing things. That's their metrics. That's their, so there's no way to kind of like cross it with the blockchain that just makes everything possible. So, um, I was going through your smart contracts again. Uh, hmm. So as you can tell, I do my research a lot on the call. I start digging through code. Um, <laughs> uh, two, things, time. Uh, two things that kind of po- uh, popped out at me. Um, roles are fixed to buyer and seller. Um, I can definitely foresee marketplaces um, that require more abstract role models, role Role-based access control system. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of wondering if you have any thoughts on expanding that particular aspect of of how you're running the Origin protocol. Can you can you first give an example of what you're talking about? Like an agent or something? No, it literally has an enumerator in there to call buyer itself. No, I'm talking about an example of of uh, more abstract roles. Sure. Um, you might want to assign an arbitrator or an arbitration system in the actual purchasing mechanism right up front. Um, you might want to have an external auditor. Um, you might require, due to international trade law, um, any shipping to... Well, this is this goes in the other question I had, which is regarding states, is that they're not dynamic. Um, you might require... Inter- international trade law might require that certain things sit in holding and go through testing before they're allowed to enter uh, the country. That kind of notification could be clearly updated in a blockchain and also uh, trustlessly exchanged in that manner as well. Uh, meaning that although I'm thinking several years down the line, um, at the moment it's kind of baked into in a hard-coded, you know, pain in the corner kind of way where the, the buyer and the seller are fixed, enumerated values, and the, um, and the uh, actual um, status of a particular uh, thing is, uh, thing I'm calling it a thing, is going through uh, is is also a fixed list of of states as well, and I've seen uh, tons of different t- ways of configuring that particular aspect of it, and I feel as though that's one of those things you can kind of also abstract out. Now, for now, I get for adoption, you want to kind of stick with what's easy and people can understand. I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on how you could grow the protocol so that things like this would not be uh, fixed um, and why aren't you kind of doing that now? And why did you go with the decisions that you're currently, currently going at? Um, or do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think, I think I do. And I, I think, well, one, like you said, this, you know, we want to get out soon, 
but I think more importantly, you want to keep it as simple as possible. Like, you know, what's the heart of a marketplace and trusting that we're not trusting, but also counting on that people will build on top of it and extend it. So for example, um, you know, it's, it's very possible that like right now, the, you know, the seller address, that's just an Ethereum address. Uh, it's quite possible. It's totally possible that you could create a service, which, you know, allows you and maybe some other trusted agent to both of you control, share access to a, to this key, uh, which represents both of you, so to speak. So like basically a, a venue holder, you want yeah. to running out tables or something at a venue. You're the particular person running the marketplace for selling these tickets. The venue holder still owns the seats. So you both need to kind of sign off on the fact that these seats are allocated. So they have a stake in the game. You have a stake in the game. You're doing the selling, but they also need some sort of way of actually being participants in the smart contract. I can see that as being sort of like a, a situation that might follow the model, but still not actually match what's currently available. Right. So when you see buyer and seller, I mean, those are roles. It doesn't have to be individual people. And that could be smart contracts. That could be whatever you want. Uh, and even things like notifications of like, I think you were saying like, you know, you need something, uh, you know, international agency needs to be notified if the item was shipped or something. You know, there's nothing, it's a public blockchain. So, you know, anyone can set up kind of like a, a, a bot to like monitor the contract to see when the status changes and send an email or, or whatever. So I think there are goals to just kind of capture the heart of what is a marketplace and not make things so obscure or, you know, convoluted uh, as so as to block someone from making tools on top of it, I think is, would be our, you know, kind of like SMTP. It's like a very simple mail protocol. There's a million weird things you can do with email, but the goal of SMTP is just to capture the heart of sending messages and let other people build fancier protocols on top of it. That makes sense. And and some Corey brings up a lot. I'll speak easy. Is that his, his, you know, his ideals and mine are aligned as well. Is that, you know, we want to keep things as thin and as bare metal essential, bare essential as humanly possible when it comes to this stuff, because you never know how it's going to be used. So you only want to have you know, the, the essentials. And And part of the point of me bringing these kind of things up on these interviews is because this is counter to how we currently build centralized systems. I mean, as centralized systems, we tend to shoot for the moon and have, you know, ultimate flexibility. You can do everything and anything in our centralized system. So we're building the whole kitchen sink for you because if we don't have that particular thing, we lost a customer. Whereas sure. with these decentralized systems, the onus is genuinely on the implementer to actually uh, utilize the protocol in the most flexible way. And the only thing the protocol has to do is, is provide a capability for them to do the things that they want to do on their own. And they don't have to specify that necessarily, which is kind of why I did actually bring up the enumeration issue, because I kind of felt like that could be something that could be overwritten by a smart contract um, in and of itself. Um, and But uh, then again, from the bare bone aspect, all of the things you've listed there, for even the state, the state has awaiting payment, shipping pending, buyer pending, seller pending, in dispute, review period, and complete. Like those are all things that every single marketplace will have. Like or at least kind of generalized. It's general. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. those those are the states that I think the smart contract must care about. And anything else, uh, like you said, is pretty interesting to me. Is that there's 
there's some sort of um, you could you could make a smart contract as the seller. You can make a smart contract as the buyer. Um, and hell, those could even probably reference other marketplace uh, things themselves. I guess I don't see anything really stopping it right now. What do you Which mean another another you marketplace? Can chain, you can chain chain transactions. So as things mm. go through a supply chain, um, things exchange hands. Um, this kind of protocol could actually do a sort of like a supply chain selling mechanism, meaning that you could actually have things go all the way across and. And with this tariff stuff and this waiting holding thing, that could be a side case for one smart contract. And once it gets out of that, then it goes to the open marketplace within the country of origin that you're, you're worried about. And so you can partition things any way you really want or need to. It's all about how creative you are as the implementer. Um, the term here, really, that's, what's that? I think yeah, the term think, here is, 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 is like that, that's kind of, I guess, the new meta that people are talking about is the crypto economic primitive. You want to try and find the smallest um, social contract that people have and then you want to write you want to generalize it uh while keeping it as small as possible in terms of the actual social contract the thing that you're doing with another person and then so you have the smallest piece of something that's tokenized and written into a contract and then you can test that based on that particular functionality and then build up using either up that along with other crypto economic primitives to then build larger and larger more complex systems but you don't have to worry about the functionality of each individual piece what this is, is the crypto economic primitive of a two-sided marketplace. One person selling something, one person buying something, and all of the mechanism design involved with doing that type of behavior. Yeah, and what's, uh, what's interesting is that if you were to compare this to a centralized system again, there are things that tend to happen as states change. Um, and you would need to implement those triggers. So you'd need to go, Okay, this is gone. This is now in shipping. Okay, so that triggers the UPS uh, UPS protocol. Hmm. You, you don't want to do that with the way that this works, and the inclination a lot of people have is to build that kind of thing. You don't want to build that in a decentralized architecture because it's an open shared database. So all you need to do is tell them, "I want you to track this particular market, this particular sale process." And whoever needs to monitor that builds their own triggers, integrates their own thing into it. And then we've become completely agnostic of whether or not they're using SAP, whether or not they're using some logistics system. We don't care anymore because it's up to those particular systems to be aware of the protocol in a very genetic, generic thin way, and then add the complexity that they need specifically by monitoring the blockchain and monitoring how the transactions proceed through the blockchain. So we've completely eliminated the need for all this central architecture that would trigger off an event which sends a notification to XYZ systems, which we support and are constantly adding and removing supporting systems. Those supporting systems now are pull mechanisms and, can, and that changes the whole way that we, we build stuff. That's, <laughs> that's not a very uncool word. Yeah. And the beauty is like, and it's as a, as an entrepreneur, it's like in every one of those, like a business opportunity too. you know, like, you know, if, if this takes off, you know, the, there's a, there's a market where there's a, a business need for that UPS integration. Awesome. Someone writes that you need the like third party agent to manage your listings. Maybe, you know, you make someone writes that service. Um, and it's because we're not trying to like, you know, think of every possible use case and bake it in from day one. It's like, no, we're just trying to handle the very little thin base case. 
uh, and you know let let a ton of other people build on top of it. And that also means you lose control of your JavaScript libraries. So (laughs) you don't need them like necessarily. If somebody else wants to build custom stuff to interact with your smart contracts, they can. But you have an out of the box solution which people can then implement and, and actually integrate in their systems, which is another problem that people are having with blockchain now is tooling. So I'm kind of wondering what does your tooling roadmap look like and what, how do you see enterprise integration working with something like this? Uh, well, like I said, just basically, uh, you know, we're going to launch with the origin JS library, which is just to change the primitives to marketplace primitives. So you, know, you don't have to think about blocks and smart contracts and gas prices, et cetera. You just, you know, create listing, pass in the the JSON that like specifies the listing, et cetera. Um, so our goal there will be to make that as easy as we, you know, we look at like the Stripe API, et cetera, of just like this like very simple, anyone who knows JavaScript can drop it in and, and use it. And that's that's our goal out of the gate. Um, shortly thereafter, probably 2019 sometime, you know, get Python libraries and maybe other languages. And, uh, yeah. That's great. Cool. Java, a, of course. That's oh, a great way to start to wrap this up. Is there, are there any questions, uh, that we didn't ask you that you hope that we would? Um, we've done some really exciting work around messaging, which we're, I'm pretty excited about. Um, cause for example, you know, you know, in any marketplace, there's often a bit of a back and forth of, you know, hey, uh, what what color is that, or mm-hmm. you know, is is that negotiations? Is okay bring... Exactly, is it okay if I bring my dog, or would you, <laughs> would you knock the price by, you know, five dollars if I didn't do this or whatever? Um, so uh, one of our engineers, Upan, has designed this incredible messaging system, which is a, it is a private, you know, so it's like just between the two of you but at the same time, completely um, auditable so that if it goes to arbitration and you need to prove to the arbiter, you know, this guy said that my dog was okay, uh, then you can basically reveal a key to the arbitrator um, to, you know, reveal a conversation. And so that's been a really fun technical challenge that I'm really proud of the, the work that we did on that. You know um, what protocols you use for that? Because that's basically like you know encrypted with selective disclosure. Like how, how, what? How do you uh, how do you do that? Uh, using uh, IPFS PubSub and the Orbit DB uh, is what's used for basically the the data okay. store and back and forth. And then um, uh, what is it? WebRTC for the sort of you know browser to browser communication. Okay. And then this complicated series of you know each side. Uh, does a one-time signing operation in MetaMask or whatever with their private key just to sort of initiate and prove who they are. And then from that, there's like a shared key that they use for the ongoing conversation so that they don't have to sign, you know, each message as they go along. Essentially a state channel. Exactly, exactly. And it's kind of funny now that we've built messaging, just as a funny aside, uh, all the other engineers, including myself, are now like thinking of all these other use cases for it of yeah. like, you know, like in arbitration of like, oh, I want to offer a $10 refund. Uh, oh, we could stick that in the messaging system because that's like. <laughs> messaging system works for everything. Exactly. Now we're like, oh, now messaging has become our like side channel. But uh, yeah, it's fun. Great. All right. Um, well, how can people get a, get a hold of you, learn more, contact you? Uh, well, Blame. obviously. 
originprotocol.com. Uh, we have open engineering meetings every Wednesday at uh, 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, which we involve, invite any engineers who are curious about Origin to, to hang out in. You know, all of our developments done in the open. So those are really fun. And you see some amazing demos like that messaging thing I just described. And uh, for me personally, I'm uh, Stan at originprotocol.com and wandering Stan on our Discord and on Twitter. All right, great. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show. Joe Gallon, do you have something there? No, saying thank you. All right. <laughs> yes, it's been great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. For all your no listeners problem. out there, if you like this, then uh, click the like button, click subscribe, show your friends, share it on Twitter. You can find me at, at Corpetti on Twitter, Colin at, at Colin Couchet. C-O-L-L-I-N-C-U-S-C-E uh, and then the podcast at Hashing It Out Pod on Twitter. Uh, website's hashingitout.stream and uh, that'll be it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Great meeting you, Sam. Great. Nice meeting you.